You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I have an excellent show for you today. And I know, I know, I say that at the beginning of every single episode, but today I am doing one of those rarefied air interview with another gentleman who does amazing work for men who have issues with vices. He himself um, has been in sobriety and recovery for four years. He does absolutely great work. He found me through Instagram. We created a relationship and now I'm getting ready to have him on his show here soon. I will be on his show with his wife. I am so super pumped. And I know, I know everybody, I say I'm super pumped before every episode, but you know how much I enjoy having people on this show who are doing amazing work out there in uh, this world. You know, those of us who, who bring the water to the fire and help other people figure their lives out. Glenn Doherty is getting ready to show up on the microphone. He lives outside Chicago. Now, for those of you who remember the 90s, there is a a particular show called Wayne's World, and he lives in Aurora. So I'm not saying that he's their neighbor, but there is that potential. He is the co-host of About This Life with his wife, Shafandra Matthews. Super excited to uh, discuss that show so that you guys can go over there and check that out. He's a mindset and fitness coach. And look, this is awesome. His primary mission is to help men take control of their life by overcoming negative vices through sobriety, discipline, and peak physical health. And these are things we talk about on this show all the time. So can you doubt why I am so excited? Is it any wonder why we have Glenn on the show today? So without any further ado, I know he's chomping at the bit to say hello to you all. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jesse. That was a, a wonderful intro. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to follow up <laughs> on that, but uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> you know, it is awesome to meet someone who does work in this field who I immediately gel with. I remember our one hour phone conversation we had that one day that was supposed to be like, hey, let's just get on the phone and talk for 15 minutes. (laughs) There's so many wonderful things that you bring to this world of helping people through their vices and and overcoming what is holding them back. You really put a lot of emphasis on that physical health and discipline aspect of it. For you, what's your journey? And I know you're sober. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty of all the, you know, the whole rock bottom thing, by all means, share a few minutes of it if you like, but I'm really into the, what launched you into this world of health and fitness through sobriety? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, during my issues with alcohol, I was already, you know, pretty passionate about health and fitness. I mean, it was to the point where I would be at the gym hungover. (laughs) So I was still out partying and drinking, doing my binge drinking, but I would still be at, at the gym. But, you know, my discipline obviously wasn't as good as it is now because, you know, my nutrition really wasn't that spot on. I would still kind of eat like crap and only eat healthy during the week, things of that nature. Uh, so health and fitness was, was, was always ingrained in me. And I think it kind of started when I was younger. I just remember, you know, we lived in my grandmother's house when I was young. And my uncle was a natural bodybuilder. And I would hear him and my other uncle in the basement, you know, grunting, lifting weights. And and I would see him making his protein shake. So I think that's kind of what sparked it, right? As a young child, you pick up things and they just kind of stick with you. 
And and just being in sports, you know, most of my youth, you know, going into high school, but health and fitness was something that always stuck with me. And so even to this day, you know, I use it, you know, as a part of, you know, my journey and recovery. So it's something that I teach other men. And there's a lot of benefits that lifting weights has on the body, the brain, and the mind. And so that's why it's one of the focal points in terms of, you know, me working with men and, and, and helping them getting their lives together. But it's always been a part of my life. My listeners know my journey with physical fitness didn't start till I was 29 when um, my buddy Ryan and Christian um, did a little mini intervention for me the summer of one of the Tour de France's when I would sit there with a handle of the cheapest ABC liquor I could get and like a pack of smokes and a gravity bong. And I just sit there and get blasted all summer. Uh, the races in the month of July. So it would just be like, <laughs> I would just black myself out every single day enough to go to work and make money to come home and do it. And I agree with you. I was a big binge drinker who would like try to pull it together Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, go to the gym, eat healthy food, chicken and carrots and stuff being like, this is going to somehow fix my body so that when I go back out over the weekend, I can do it all over again. So I commend you for seeing the modeling as a child and then allowing that into your life. Cause I didn't have that as a kid. So you saw it at a young age and we're like, no, this is, this is what I want to get into. This is going to be important to me throughout. And it sounds like you maintained it even during your binge drinking days. Yeah, you know, I would say the activity of going to the gym is what I maintain, but I would be in and out of shape. You know, there was times where I would kind of be skinny fat, but I'm still working out, right, five, six days a week, still eating right, quote unquote, during the week. So I would still be in and out of shape in terms of that and my body, but the actual, you know, going to the gym, that was something that stuck with me. And it it was something that I never really realized that, you know, hearing my uncles and then working out that that would actually stick with me all my life. But yeah, it's just the activity of going to the gym. That's something that always stuck with me. But, you know, I would be in and out of shape still. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I concur. There would be times where, you know, I'd lose a bunch of weight. You know, I mean, I, I dabbled in the cocaine, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and so I would definitely be times where I'd be super skinny. And then when the alcohol was more in effect and, and super fat. And, and, you know, when you first got into sobriety, and we could touch upon that. I know before the, the mic went live, we were talking about your four years and how you didn't go the AIE route. You actually went the therapy route, which is very, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between our journeys when it comes to our sobriety. I went the therapy Kaiser route, not the AA route. I immediately like got sober on a month, um, Friday, checked in on Monday, left the hospital, uh, left the, yeah, left the hospital on Monday, Tuesday morning, went straight to Equinox and signed up and got myself a, a gym membership. And then I basically hid in the gym for the next uh, 12 weeks. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I did I didn't want to be home a lot. Uh, I would the my room was my room was where I hid to drink. So I needed so I moved my furniture around and did some of that stuff and then when I just didn't know what to do with myself, I would just go up to Equinox and just just hang out, like sit on exercise machines and just sit there and just sit on the exercise bike for like two hours watching ESPN. When you look back at your beginning stages of your sobriety and recovery, how beneficial was it to snap into that physical fitness, health, wellness, eating right, drinking water? What was that journey like for you and how are you using it in your coaching now? Yeah, that's a good question. So I remember, you know, what started that routine to, to for me to really get focused on, you know, going to the gym was 
my wife and I, we got divorced in February 2017. And, and so full transparency, a lot of it was due to my alcohol usage and some of the decisions I've made, you know, arrests, uh, but ultimately, you know, it was it was through an affair. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And the divorce was final. And so now I'm in my new condo by myself because now we're doing the co-parenting thing. So I'm having to wait to see my kids until the weekend. But I just remember after work, I would go home after going to the gym, make my protein shake, eat dinner at this kitchen table that I had by myself. And I would do this every day until it was time to see, you know, my kids on the weekends. And so working out right after I would leave work and going through that routine actually helped me because I didn't really have any empty space to dwell on anything until I got home. And once I got home and I'm by myself, that's really when I had to sit in what I did in terms of losing my family, you know, betraying my wife's trust uh, and going through, through therapy at the same time. And journaling, reflecting, going through that recovery period. And my journey was, I would say, in that sense, was a little backwards because I felt like I went through the recovery phase before I got sober. So I was still drinking while I was going to therapy, even post-divorce, but it was just on occasion. And it really wasn't as destructive as it used to be. And we can talk about the the story that caused me to cut off alcohol completely. Um, but that was kind of the start of the process of, hey, I go to work, I go to the gym, I come home and eat, and then I'm reflecting and, you know, sitting with the consequences of, of my actions and having to sit and resolve that, you know, with myself. Uh, so you add that with journaling and therapy. And so I share that with the people that I work with, and you know, in terms of, you know, my morning routine and what that looks like and how that can help them, not only in their sobriety, but just developing a level of discipline, you know, that can help them in life become, you know, a better leader, and uh, how to, you know, rebuild their relationships and and share my story and and, and some of the tools that I use to help them uh, in their journey. The tools that you use, this is the, the, you know, there's a lot of stuff we're going to have to rewind and get back into. (laughs) As coaches, we realize from the get-go, we are our own first client. Everything that I talk about on the show, whether, I mean, I tell people all the time, all the listeners know, I'm not knocking all this stuff I talk about out of the park, but these are all things that I am, I'm working through in my head and I'm bringing people along the ride with me. And and it's it's awesome. It's like, hey, I just learned this and I'm going to start doing this. You guys might want to check it out too. When you talk about the tools that you bring to your clients, so you bring to the listeners of your show, being that you were your own first client, going back to those times, sitting there alone, eating dinner after work, trying to manage the drinking, at the same time going to the therapy, what are some of the tools that you started to develop then that really began to to work really well for you that took you along this journey that led you here today? Yeah, it, it was really journaling, you know, journaling. And then getting into, you know, personal development, I was always into a lot of personal development, even during my drinking issues, which I would attribute to, you know, me having some self-awareness to, to realize that, hey, I need to, to fix this. You know, that was part of, you know, that, that personal development aspect. Uh, but I would say journaling is the main thing. You know, when I first started journaling, I realized how much it helped me how much of a weight it would take off of me 
because before that, I'm holding everything in. And so that would come out externally through the drinking, right? And not everybody is going to use drinking, you know, as their way to express their emotions or, or their pain, but that was something that I did, right? And so being able to journal and get my thoughts out and reflect on, you know, the things that I would discuss in therapy, things that I would feel in that moment, journaling, I would say, really helped me. The therapy helped as well. That was sort of like the catalyst because the therapy uncovered a lot of the issues that I didn't realize that I was dealing with, you know, internally going back to, you know, issues within my my childhood and, and even as a young adult um, and even in a college and relationship issues that I had with my wife, like all of that was just one culmination that, you know, sort of you drove me to, you know, ex- abuse alcohol, right? And so once you uncover those things in therapy, you're able to, you know, work further on yourself through journaling. So I would say journaling was the main thing that helped me outside of therapy. I have noticed in my past when I'm most apt to journal a lot is when I'm going through a lot of tough times. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, good solve that problem. I'm using air quotes out there for those of you who are just listening. Um, whereas I mean, I really want to get better at just journaling when things are going well too. (laughs) I don't want it to just be nothing but like a, you know, chaos journal where it's like, it's like, well, I know what days weren't doing well. Uh, when you get a hold of, you know, the gentleman who finds you through the podcast, who, who, who ultimately become your clients and you start to get them more into shifting from who they were to who they desire to be. What are some other tools that you like to introduce to people who are looking to overcome vices, overcome their addictions, or just in general, start using physical fitness and, and eating healthy as a, as a way to move them towards who they desire to be? Yeah. And so just, I want to go back to the journaling piece. Part and I and I'm, I'm guilty of that is you know I used to stop the journaling once the bad things you know would go away but you know part of that journaling process is is gratitude you know gratitude and appreciation so that's another layer uh, of the process right but the main thing is what I share is you know one is getting an early wake up time <laughs> right that that's something that a lot of people you know struggle with so starting with an early wake up time, being the first one up. And that gives you time to accomplish these tasks before you start your day. Journaling is part of that task. And the next task is going to the gym, getting your workout. Or if you need to get your workout at home, that helps too. We do home-based workouts if you can't get to the gym. But it is good to get out of the house, go to the gym, do your routine. But when you start with that early wake up time, you get your journaling in, you practice your gratitude and appreciation, then you're getting your workout in, you've accomplished these tasks, you know, before everyone is awake. Now you can start your day clear-headed with some clarity and you do that day in and day out, that discipline of doing that day by day, that helps build, you know, character, right? That helps improve your life because physical fitness has been used to, you know, cure depression, you know, it helps with dopamine, serotonin. I don't want to, you know, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, these are studies that have been done. It helps with your focus. So there's a lot of physiological benefits, you know, with working out. And so Mm -hmm. with those physiological benefits, 
be able to turn that into other areas of your life, right? Um, so it's not just about the health and fitness piece. You get that clarity through the health and fitness, right? You get your confidence going and that will trickle down into other areas in your life where you have better relationships with your spouse or better relationship with your kids, uh, your family, you're able to, you know, perform better at work. Uh, so it's it's sort of an all around medicine, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, that we, you know, help uh, our clients with. I love how health and wellness have so many faces of success. First of all, I couldn't be the first one up in my house. She's up at like 545. And I love, love, love my brain kicks into this hyperdrive from around uh, 10 and PM to about 1230. So every night I'm doing something from that 10 PM. It's probably a Gary Vaynerchuk thing. He, he instilled in me like seven years ago, but it's uh yeah. So I, I generally am up to about 132 uh, working. So it's interesting that you get up early and do all that. And I'm doing it all. I journal at the end of the night. I do my meditation at the end of the night. Yeah, Um, that's good. But going back to discipline, which we talked about before the mic went hot, what are like your very first couple things you start to instill in them just to get them to taste the success that comes from consistency? Yeah, it's just right. So that's a good question. It's getting them to, to baseline. Right. Because I have to sometimes remember, and my wife was telling me this, like you have to approach them from where they're at. Right. Not from where you are. And so it starts with, <clears throat> OK, what can you stick with tomorrow? What are some things that you can accomplish tomorrow that you may have been putting off? Right. So, let, hey, let's start with your first journal entry. Let's start with your first healthy meal, because that may be a foreign concept to a lot of people. They might not have never, you know, eaten a quote unquote healthy meal. So let's get one meal in tomorrow and then let's do that for a few days and see how that feels. Then let's add another healthy meal in there. And then before you know it, you're doing four to five healthy meals, you know, however many meals they, they need to eat during a given day based on, you know, their their uh, nutrition plan that we give them. Uh, so things of that nature. OK, let's start with the workout. You know, do you have any, you know, uh, pre-existing conditions that may prevent you from going to the gym? OK, let's do a walk in the morning or do a walk after work. So it's adjusting it based on, you know, their current lifestyle so that it it, it settles into their lifestyle a lot easier and to make it sustainable. And so as they do these daily tasks and we we just start stacking them, stacking one task on top of the other, doing it every day and holding them accountable. That's the main thing. You know, my coaching style, it's I am compassionate because I've been there, but there's a point where it's like you have to draw a line in the sand and kind of give them a little compression and say, "Okay, hey, you know what? We got we have to get this done." There's yeah, no excuses. It's it's eliminating any excuses as well, right? And just having that that mindset of, hey, we have to get this done regardless of how you feel. So it's just about stacking small wins every day until before they know it, you know, they have this discipline regimen that they're following every day and just holding them accountable to that. My coach who trained me to do all the things that I do, he's, he reminds me, he's like, sometimes, Jesse, you got to know when to be Papa Bear, which is gentle and kind and, and rewarding. And when you got to be Sergeant Slaughter Bear and you just got to get up in people's grill because they don't bring us on to pander and coddle them. And at the same time, we want to understand it's like, and this is something I learned from years of coaching is that I do have to remind myself, you know, 
meet them where they're at. What is that experience like for you to know you didn't make them do anything, but you guided them towards this new revelation about their lives? Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it is amazing, you know, when, and that's what we do it for. Just someone that, you know, comes to you wanting to, you know, change one or more aspects of their, of their life. And going from zero to, you know, getting to the point where they're losing weight, you know, they're no longer drinking alcohol. That's what it's about. And so for me, I don't think in terms of me anymore, it's it's not about me. So like when I wake up, you know, I, for example, I take a photo of my journal every morning. And even when I don't feel like doing it, I do it because I think of, hey, there's someone that could benefit from reading this post, right? And that could be the start of them, you know, maybe they start going on the gym on their own because they're looking at my workout posts um, or, or they start eating healthier and then they may need some more assistance and then they reach out to me to help them with that journey. Um, and, and just seeing them just kind of transcend themselves, it, it is amazing to see. And that's the goal. When you go to shift people's mindsets, looking back at what you did with yourself years ago, what is it you went through really working things out with your wife? What was that experience like for you? And how were you able to take your physical fitness and your discipline and your shifting of your mindset to heal your home? And how was that working out for, you know, guiding other men to be able to achieve something similar? Yeah, yeah. I like that question. Um, so the story is, like I said, we got uh, divorced. February 2017, I hopped into a relationship <laughs> fairly quickly after that, right? The rebound effect. And this is while I'm getting my life together. And so months go by and, you know, I talked to my wife and I let her know that, hey, I'm in another relationship because I had to travel out of town and involved in this relationship uh, to go see her. And she's just thinking it was something casual. And I'm like, nah, this is, this is pretty serious. And that's when things kind of switch, you know, in her mind, she's like, wait a minute, you're getting your life back together. And someone else is reaping the benefits when you gave me <laughs> hell for damn near 20 years. Like, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> so that, you know, kind of, yeah, it, she kind of flew off the hinges. And it got to the point where we started having discussions about, possibly getting back together. And, and I let her know, I'm like, hey, why don't you think about this? Because maybe this is maybe this is like some FOMO, right? Like you, you're seeing me get my life back together. You know, maybe there's some rebound effect for you in terms of how you view me. Think about it and then let's talk. And so she thought about it. And she's like, yeah, I want to give it, you know, another go. And I would have never thought in a million years that she'd give me another chance. And I ended that relationship that I was in and we got back together. And so the thing is, we started couples counseling I would say just over a year after that. And with the discipline, you know, I talk about discipline, you know, meaning getting out of your feelings and doing something anyway. And I took that mentality in couples counseling because it's like, hey, I have to do the work. This is mainly for my wife. Like, yes, we're we're working on our relationship, but she still had some things that she had to heal from. And there was a moment where I realized like, hey, she could heal from this trauma that I caused and ultimately decide that she doesn't want to be back with me. And I was okay with that scenario. I'm like, hey, she's my best friend, the, the mother of my children. 
I'm here to support her. I'm going to get out of my own feelings <laughs> and put that fear aside and be there for her. So that that discipline helped me in that way. And so I was able to be there for her because we went to therapy for a couple of years, you know, working on her, working on our relationship. Um, I had my own therapy going on as well. Granted, it wasn't all alcohol related at that time because I got, you know, um, sober in uh, 2018, October 2018. My therapy at that time was mainly about our relationship and how I can <laughs> kind of survive just pouring into her so much and not getting much in return. Uh, so it was just being a, being very selfless. And so, you know, relating that back to the coaching yeah, there's it's just teaching folks that there may be situations where you will have to support someone and pour into them more than they pour into you. And and that's OK, because with substance abuse and alcohol abuse, we end up damaging relationships that we end up having to repair uh, at the end of the day. And some we may not repair, um, but hey, give it a try in, in terms of offering an apology and if the communication is broken, you know, it's a good old tool of, you know, writing a letter to that person and then burning it. And there you go. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's taking yourself and your feelings out of the equation and just really being there for that person. Uh, but it, it takes some strong will. <laughs> strong will, you know, because we are going through this, you know, when you think about going through those early stages of sobriety and it's just you know, my dad, who's a drug and alcohol abuse counselor for 30 years, he told me, he's like, hey, that first year, it is about getting your body right. So get, you know, get into the gym, start walking, do something healthy, eat healthy. That second year is really when the emotions start to look for a healing process. And he's like, and yes, Jess, you've, you probably torched a lot of bridges and those people may not want to, you know, start rebuilding that. But if you want it, you got to ask for it and see what they, see if they reciprocate, right? Make the amends. There's a lot going on and it, it can be a lot for people, but I say it's worth the effort because I swear I heard you throw out the Mike Tyson quote, discipline is doing what you hate to do, but doing it anyway. And you actually reminded me, you know, of another tool. It's going through the motions of doing what you need to do. And I'll use going to the gym for an example. You know, most people don't want to wake up and go to the gym early in the morning. So you kind of alluded to it. You start by, hey, just start putting on your clothes right? Brush your teeth, just go through the motions. You may be tired. You may be thinking, I don't want to do this, but just do it anyway. And then you'll find yourself in the car. Now you're driving to the gym and then there's no point of, there's a point of no return at that point. You're in the gym. So now you have to get it done, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or in terms of eating healthy, throwing the junk food out uh, of your cabinets. So you have no choice but to eat the healthy options that you went to the store to go get as a part of your nutrition plan. So the Cheetos aren't there, the cookies aren't there because you threw them in the garbage. People tend to seek comfort and they want to stay in that. And like you said, with COVID, you're at home, you have a lot of people working remote, so you don't have to get dressed. And so you're not even realizing that your clothes don't fit until you're going out to a certain function because you're in sweats all the time or, or gym clothes like we talked about. <laughs> so that's another situation where they realize like, oh, shoot, I need to. <laughs> that was that that was the sucker punch towards the end of COVID when I actually when, when things opened up and I was able to put on a dress, my dress clothes. And I went to put on my my. So I have certain outfits I wear when I get up on stage and speak and I call my uniforms. And so I went to put on uniform three that day and it didn't fit. 
and then uniform two didn't fit. And then uniform one, which is guaranteed to always fit. It's super comfortable. Got a little vest and dress shirt, the whole nines, never had it not fit. It didn't fit. <laughs> I remember being like, that's it. We're done. 197 pounds, my ass. I was like, reverse, reverse. And, uh, you know, uh, is this some of the stuff that you guys are talking about with your wife over on about this life? I mean, what is it the kind of, con- I mean, do you cover this kind of content too, or how do you mixing it up with your wife on the microphone next to you? Oh yeah. I mean, we cover a wide variety of topics that, yeah, you know, sometimes we get into discipline. Like if I get on my rant, you know, and talk about, you know, things that uh, happened to me in the past, but, uh, we talk about things that we've gone through, uh, and, and things that we go through currently, not, you know, specific like relationship issues because we're in a happy place but certain events that you know we can draw certain parallels to that we'll share um you know with the audience like a, one of our most recent episode was and I'll be short with this you know our youngest son uh Cam he's in seventh grade uh he was involved in an incident where a kid at his lunch table called another kid uh the n-word and so we had a whole episode about that and talking about sort of like our traumas as children and how that was something me personally that I dealt with um, moving from Chicago to, you know, the suburbs and having been called the N-word by friends, you know, several occasions and having getting in fights. So things like that, we talk about a variety of topics and now we're getting, you know, into the portion where we want to have guests on our show and <laughs> you'll certainly be on uh, in the near future. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, we talk about a lot of issues, you know, relationship issues, real life issues, um, and then, you know, additional issues as we bring on uh, more guests. And we always get feedback from our listeners to, hey, what are you guys, you know, interested in hearing? But we have a wide range of topics that we have, you know, on deck for our next uh, good handful of episodes. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not like social media, the media, news, the world isn't giving you just a plethora of things that you can be talking about on the show. Right. <laughs> so you'll never run, we'll never run out of ideas. But we also like to just, you know, talk about things that we're dealing with in the moment, whether it's us and, you know, or the kids, you know, we we had a transparent episode about us, you know, trying to conceive again. And so we're, we're really open and honest about what's going on in our lives. And and people are able to draw lessons from that and, and help their own relationships. I think that's the most powerful thing about podcasts is that for those of us who do, like mine's not interview driven, right? I, it's basically the Jesse Mogul show. Like, what am I interested in talking about today? What are the what are the listeners told me they want to hear more about? And there's an opportunity to be real and transparent and raw um, that I don't, you know, doesn't come from being on the radio. It doesn't come up from being on TV. And I think that's one of the reasons why this medium is so fascinating to people is that you can launch a show in your, in your bedroom, in your office and say, look, this is my life. And if you're interested, keep coming back. And you're right. Somebody once told me like, aren't you going to run out of things to talk about? You just broke 200 episodes. How many things can you talk about around sobriety? And I'm like, every day I'm living. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Six things happened on the way to the gym today. I'm like, that's an episode. Somebody the other day was talking to me. I'm like, thanks. You just gave me my next episode. My brain's always listening for cool things. And so that that must be pretty fascinating for you and your wife to be living out, let's say a heated argument or an exchange with your, with your child. And then being like, got the next episode. (laughs) That's exactly. It's so funny. Like that's where some of our reels uh, come to life. Um, Yeah. Just anything that we believe can help someone else but because of our transparency and we've gotten this feedback people love our transparency our honesty and we share a lot about our lives and and we had to get to that point like i said a lot of uh therapy and you know to even just talk about like 
are fair and, and issues, you know, earlier on, early on in our marriage and, you know, the divorce and having to get remarried, you know, and so we, we share all of those things. Um, but yeah, any, anything in life is, is going to end up being an episode topic at some point. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we, we love the feedback and it's my wife's brainchild. So I'll give her the credit of starting this podcast. I was a little hesitant, but now I'm like, Hey, when are we shooting our next episode? So we come up with our ideas and yeah, like, Hey, let's have Jesse on the show. So <laughs> it's been, it's been a, it's been a fun ride and, and we were just looking to continue and improve and, and have more people on the show. I can't wait to meet your wife because you have an eclectic personality. You're, you're just <laughs> a, a natural on the microphone. Uh, certainly, we've all listened to some of those podcasts. We're like, oh, I don't know if this person feels comfortable with their voice broadcasting to the world. But you have a just such an affable, friendly style to you. I have no doubt your clients love you, and especially the pushing part. And so I love this. I'm going to call it, a, a, you used to have a title for it, don't remember what it was, but that's not important. The important is how I'm going to frame this question. You've got a microphone right now in front of you. In theory, it can reach every single human being on this planet. If you could say something that every single human being would want to hear, would need to hear, maybe they don't even realize it's something that they're dying to hear that could change everything for them. What would be the message you would want them to hear from you, Glenn? Man, I love that question. Do what it is that you said you were going to do, not only for yourself in terms of you know, improving your life or or changing that one area that has been detrimental, you know, for you for a number of years, you know, keep your word to yourself and keep your word to others, your loved ones, your family. Um, and then you'll notice some changes when you say, hey, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to get sober. When you literally keep your word on that to yourself, there's no way to go against that. And so you have to accomplish what it is that you said you were going to do. So I would say, keep your word to yourself. That's awesome. You know, listen, for the listeners out there who, who, who keep up, and I know I've got some people in the tribe who absolutely are, when I have bring guests on, they're like, I see why you like this person, because they said this, this, and this. You brought in discipline, which is my fifth uh, principle in my book. You just, you basically just did the um, the four agreements, which I'm sure, have you ever heard of the book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel that. Ruiz? Love that I book. I love that book. You just did, you just did be, be impeccable with your word. And I tell this to people, so I want some, you know, I was, that was supposed to be the end, but I, I, I gotta ask you this. Um, so one of the reasons I talk, when people hit me up, they're like, Jesse, I just want to love myself again. So I reverse engineer it. I'm like, well, what causes people to fall in love with other humans? It's like, you meet someone, obviously you get along with them, but then you start making plans. You start deciding to do things and you show up. You're, you you earn trust because you say you're going to be somewhere and you're there. You say you're going to do something and you do it. You're impeccable with your word. Be impeccable with your word to yourself and you will begin to build trust with yourself and the trust will lead to love. What are your thoughts on that? Because I swear we're on this, we're, we're, we're running the rope on this one together. Yeah, that that's a good point because the other part of that is you know, it, during that, they're trying to impress that person, right? So it's just like, what happened to impressing yourself? <laughs> you know? Yes! <laughs> impress, impress yourself. And that just comes with self-love. Um, when you have self-love, you, you want to do things that are in your best interest. And what I mean by that, in your best interest in terms of becoming a better person and that will attract the person that you need. So we kind of touch on that 
in our podcast, just like, yeah, you have dating and, and, you know, just using your example, you're going out, you're keeping your word to that person. You're, you're setting the reservations for seven. You're there at seven. You're impressing, um, you know, the, this person, but it's just like, why, why don't you want to just do that, you know, for yourself? And, and the thing with the four agreements, how much I love that book. I I'm coming from the corporate background. So I would lead, I, I would lead teams and I would actually recommend that book to some of my leadership that would work underneath me uh, because a lot of the times people take things personally as well, which is another agreement in that book. Don't take things personal. And so when you remove again, your feelings out of it, don't take things personally because you never know what someone is dealing with. And so you're able to kind of diffuse a lot of situations that could otherwise escalate uh, if you take uh, things personally. So, yeah, I make a lot of parallels um, to that book. But, yeah, it just self-love and doing things for yourself that you would do for others. Treat yourself in the same high regard. And, and I think people would see a lot of benefits from that. You know, it's interesting, the removing yourself from the emotion part. I love that you say that because, so I call my company, um, I do business as Wise Mind Empowerment. And Wise Mind comes from taking your emotional mind and your rational mind and using them together. So don't be overly, don't always be an emotional, don't always be irrational. Like I'm very much irrational. This wise mind isn't something I created. This is a whole thing that existed before me, but it came about through research. And I was like, I love what you're talking about, remove the emotion, because sometimes I'm so emotional, I'm not using my rational mind. And then I'm so rational, I'm not using my emotional mind. And men as young kids are told, don't be emotional. And then women are told, you know, be as emotional as you want. Right. And so then we get adults and then men don't know how to be emotional. And that's what women want. And then we are emotional and then they don't know how to handle it because we've not been emotional for so long. Uh, when you hear me say all that, like, like, how are you experiencing what I just described? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Cause the thing that I was thinking about is uh, our children, you know, so we have two boys, uh, one's 15, he just turned 15 a couple uh, last week, actually, and our youngest is 12. And so we instill that in them a lot. We keep the lines of communication open, we let them know that, hey, if there's something bothering you, then you need to let us know. Um, and so we we talk, you know, we, we don't let and, and I don't want this to come across seem like our, you know, our kids are leading <laughs> the house, right? It's not one of those. <laughs> we, we, you know, we both grew up in a household where we would get whoopings, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's not one of those. But we do make sure that they're able to, you know, express their emotions, communicate properly. And if things are bothering them, they can come to us and talk about it. And it's judgment free. Now, if it leads to, them getting in trouble, I let them know like, hey, you need to be honest about, you know, what happened. Maybe they're missing a bunch of assignments. Hey, you need to be honest about what happened. Will you get in trouble? Probably, but you have to be a man and own up to what you did. And um, yeah, we we teach that to them a lot. We we want them to be able to, you know, express themselves uh, freely with us and understand that, hey, if there's some things that you have to communicate that may uh, have some consequences tied to that, then you need to own up to that. So you're you're going to be responsible uh, for your actions. And oh yeah, we we teach them about keeping their word as well. You know, if if Cam's like, hey, Glenn said he was going to play with me, and he's not. I'm like, hey, you you gave him your word and said that you were going to play with him, so you play with him because you said that you were going to do that. If you can't hold that promise, 
don't say it. Don't, yeah. don't, don't make any promises. So we talk about that a lot in this household. I think that's really important yeah. for not just kids. To, obviously, it's super important for kids to be modeled appropriate behavior by their parents. It's also really strong when the parents actually are following their own modeling. And I, and I tell people, it's like, you know, be careful about making promises when you're happy and decisions when you're sad. And a lot of people will say yes to something so they don't have to levy down some sort of rejection in front of that person in the moment. So they're just like, well, I'll just figure a way out of it later. I'm like, it's worse. If you promise me that you're going to go with me to the amusement park in three weeks, just say no now. If not, I tell my calendar, I'm counting down. I get start getting, I mean, I'm one of those people who loves anticipation. So I get super excited when things are nearing. And then somebody's like, oh, I can't go to the amusement park. And it's a day later. And I'm just like, but, uh, 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 well, then it comes to find out they never could just say no at the beginning and let me deal with it. I could go find someone else. So I love that you're teaching your kids, like be impeccable with that word. If you make a promise, follow through, or just say no right out the gate. Yeah. And, and I, I follow that just in my normal everyday life, especially with my wife. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, I don't make promises. I, <laughs> I don't say yes to something I know. Say, oh, uh-uh. yeah, no, absolutely no. not. If right? I say yes to something, it goes in the calendar, Glenn. Yeah. When is that? She's like, you seriously put it in the calendar? I'm like, babe, if it's not in the calendar, it doesn't exist. Anything you, anything you ask me to do and I say yes to, it's going in the calendar and it goes under red for love because I'm not, and under any circumstances, can't stop on you. <laughs> That's so funny because we have a calendar in the kitchen that my wife puts everything on. And then if she doesn't put it on there and she tells me that I said yes to somewhere we're going, I'm like, well, you didn't put it on the calendar, but I'm like, hey, we got to go. You know, we got to go. I said, yes, but hey, you got to put it on the calendar first. Just put it on the calendar. That's all I'm asking. I don't care. Well, we may or may not go. I don't care. Put it on the calendar. It's 20% we might go. Put it on the calendar. Yeah. (laughs) But it's three years from now. I said, put it on the calendar. <laughs> exactly. If it's not on there. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just, we have to practice what we preach, you know, as, as parents, but as individuals and uh, yeah, any opportunity I get to talk about that, you know, especially with my oldest, cause you know, he's getting older and he's going to start driving soon. And, you know, even just the other day we had an incident where you know, I pick him up from track practice and I know something's bothering him. I'm like, What's bothering you? He's like, nothing. I'm like, listen, man, we, we talk about this. If something's bothering you, let me know. If you don't want to talk about it right now, then just tell me you don't want to talk about it right now. He's like, okay, I don't want to talk about it right now. Come to find out, he thought he lost his phone, which was a brand new iPhone 14. We got him for his birthday last week. And we're like, dude, you have to say something like, tell us right away. But it was in his book bag at the end of the day. But it's just like, <laughs> You know, I was telling him, I'm like, man, listen, I was like, you have to communicate when something's bothering you. Be honest. I said, when I asked you if something was bothering you, you said no. I said, the better answer is, hey, I don't want to talk about it. I said, you you have to be a man of your word. You're telling me nothing's wrong. Am I, I'm supposed to believe you. So if, if, if you keep your word, then, hey, you know, that's that. But you, you can't just say something and mean something else. So we had that lesson just a few days ago. So any opportunity we get to instill that within them, you know, we're going to do it. And we, we treat each other the same way, my wife and I, and same with my friends and family. It's just, you know, we practice it every day. As somebody with a disorganized attachment style, which means I'm both anxious and avoidant, I know what it's like to want to talk about something. And then it's, it's almost like I, I've already played the conversation out in my head a couple of times and it didn't go very well. And then I've realized like I can come and fume in my office. I can slam a door. I can come in here and yell obscene absurdities and then go back out there. And 
let me be clear. I didn't always go back out there. There would be times where I would just hide in the office until she'd go to bed because, I mean, it's like I just was – I didn't know how to, to have that conversation. I love that you're doing that with your son now saying, no, let's have these conversations because, honestly, over the last couple of years, especially since we moved to Huntsville together, I was like, no, we are not – going our separate ways and, and letting this just sort of fade away. I like, we're talking, I might go in the office and get, ah, and I've come in here and done some push-ups and then some jumping jacks and then done some goose frog stuff, but I'm going back out there. I'm like, okay, that didn't go very well. Let's go sit over here in our connection corner, which is where I have a sit when we're not having a good time with each other. So we anchor a spot in our house where that's where we have our important conversations. And by conversations, I tend to mean debates and by debates, I mean arguments. And so, but, <laughs> I do that on purpose because it, it reframes, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to deal with this because we're not going to let something carry over into the next day that could easily, at the very least, be discussed now, if not also agreed upon and moved through. That's good that you guys do that. You have that designated spot. Um, I know we were we were guilty of that years ago. You know, we had so many issues and we would let it fester, you know, into the next day. And you realize just how unhealthy it is, not only for the relationship, but just internally, you know, all that stress. And I'm actually getting into a good book uh, by Dale Carnegie, um, How Not to Worry. I may be butchering the title, but I believe it's how not, how not to Worry. I started on Audible. And it just explains, you know, how stress and worry can literally impact the body and how illnesses can come from that. So yeah, it's not only physiological, but it could be damaging to the relationship. And so you know, we've had so many issues <laughs> throughout our relationship. It's just like, I don't, you know, we don't really have arguments anymore. It's just, you know, things come up. We'll have a discussion just like you guys, you know, but uh, I like the whole designated spot. You know, it's like, you know, you, you know what you're there for. You know why you're yeah. there. Let's hammer this out and get it done. <laughs> I actually picked that up through my NLP studying where you have um, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. You have anchors that you've created in your life. And, and certainly in your house, you create anchors. And so I was like, well, you don't want to create an anchor of arguing in the bedroom. That is definitely don't, you don't want to be doing that. You do not want to argue in the bed. I've literally been like, okay, uh, uh, up, up, out, out of the bed. <laughs> we are not arguing in the bed. Um, now it's just, it's, that's not a place where we even remotely think to do that, but the, definitely the couch. Cause right, you get in a huge argument sitting in the same, and then you're done arguing in this spot. And then you were like, okay, let's turn on some TV but your body is still in that same zone, right? And then later on, you sit back down in there and all of a sudden you feel antsy or anxious or avoidant or angry. Like, why? Well, I was, everything was fine. And now all of a sudden I sit on the couch and I'm angry. And so through my NLP work, I realized that the unconscious mind attaches anchors throughout the house for why certain things are happening in certain places. So I was like, oh, okay, well now we're going to have our, I call it the conversation corner. It's two seats at the dining room table that we don't sit at to eat. Like we would never, we would never sit at these in these spots where we sit to eat at the other end. So I just pull the chairs down and it's a whole different world. It, there's no reason we will ever, ever, ever sit in these spots other than to do exactly what I'm talking about us doing, which is having the conversation. So that's how that came wow. about. Honestly, I would have never thought about that. Just having an association, <laughs> just in being in one spot where those events are occurring. But, you know, now that you mentioned it, it makes sense, right? Like if there's some traumatic event, that happens and you go to back to that spot you'll remember exactly how that event happened so that that makes sense man that's pretty smart <laughs> well make, make sure we bring that up on your I, I was just gonna say that <laughs> when you be, yeah we yeah because that's something we've never even thought of so yeah we'll be uh 
more than happy to have you explain that on yeah. our show. <laughs> well, and it's cool too, especially with the kids, because then they're not sitting on the bed while you're standing at the doorway, let's say debating with them. Um, right. And then next time you open up the door and you're like, Hey, love you. Good night. And they're sitting in the similar spot. You're standing in about the same position and they, now you just got done yelling at them 30 minutes ago. Now you're opening up the door saying, Hey, I love you. Sleep well. Good night. And uh, it's an unconscious, you know, kickback that they have. It, it doesn't, they don't understand why they feel the way they do, but there's something about that, that they anchored in. So I'm like, well, yeah. if anchors are happening anyways, let's just set one very particularly. That's how. Okay. That That's yeah. Cause as you said that I'm thinking about all the times that I'm literally, just like you said, literally standing in the doorway, talking to my kids, you know, if there's an issue, but I'm also talking to them through the doorway. Hey, did you have a great day? Like, all right, good night. I'm going to bed. Like, so, wow. No, thanks for that. That's yeah. That's a huge takeaway. Back in my red carpet days, I used to have the aftershock question. So we're going to, so since we didn't let the megaphone question finish the show, we're going to let the aftershock question finish the show. Um, when you look at what you've achieved up to, up to this point in your life with your coaching, with healing your marriage, with being the father that you have become to the, your children, all of this journey that, you know, really you can say probably really began to take hold at, at the beginning of your sobriety from where you're at now, looking back to that day one of all of this, what is something that you reflect upon that you wish you had known then that you absolutely positively believe strongly in now? That's a really good question. I would say one thing I wish I would have known back then, and I'm going to go way back. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, w- I wish I would have known, you know, how my mom's divorce from my dad impacted her and the bout of depression that she went through. I wish I would have understood that growing up because that was something that I didn't know until I was going through my divorce with my wife. And so, you know, she's kind of sharing like war stories, if you will, right? Like what she went through uh, during the divorce. And yeah, she let me know that she was just severely depressed. You know, she just didn't really value her life during that time. And so when I think about that, there was periods of time where I kind of resented my mom a little bit. You know, our relationship was a little strained. And so that was a part of, you know, some of those, I guess, traumas that I had growing up that impacted my behavior and choosing to drink, you know, because she was depressed you know, she was drinking out as I was younger. She would, you know, throw parties, you know, when we would be over there during the weekend and playing cards, smoking cigarettes all night. Um, you know, we didn't see my mom during the week. So that's how it was set up when we were growing up. So we would see her on the weekends and we were with my dad during the week. But when we would see her during the weekends, yeah, we would have fun. And, and you know, and I don't want to paint her as a bad mom. She was a great mom, but I just didn't understand what she was going through during that time. And so I think that that had an impact um, on me growing up. And and like I said, it kind of, you know, we didn't have the best relationship at times as I got older, but now we have the best, you know, relationship and and we're we're very much closer uh, than we were in the past. But I just wish that I would have known that. So I would have a little bit more compassion and maybe I could have viewed things a little differently as I grew up. 
and kind of been there for her a little more than you know that compared to my brother <laughs> at the time so not to get too deep but it, it's just it was just the first thing that came to me just yeah conversation we had so <laughs> that's awesome no one yeah. ever answered the aftershock question as cool as you just did on, on those cards, dude. they always say something stupid like i wish i had known how much time it was going to take or i wish i had known how quickly we go over budget you crushed that bro <laughs> oh thanks man it's just because it, it's it's helped me later in life at this stage. So because that has helped me, it's been able to help me help others. Right. So I kind of want to tie that back to, you know, what I'm doing now and, and how it's helped, uh, you know, me, you know, kind of focus on my relationships, you know, with my wife and my kids and my family and, and clients. Uh, so that, that has an impact on, you know, me becoming a better person and, and really understanding people just because you never know what they're going through and how situations impact them so I'm, I'm able to be compassionate a lot more compassionate now yeah. now that i understand that speaking of helping others i know you came to the show with a free gift uh, I, I would be remiss to make sure we gotta we got, let's let's before we close it out i know uh um, i'll put it into the show notes but you're offering a complimentary 30 minute uh q a about mindset fitness nutrition the whole jazz right yeah, yeah. Any, anything around mindset, training, nutrition, anything that they need help with, I'm, I'm offering 30 minutes of my time. And, you know, we can talk about anything that you're struggling with. I'll offer, you know, any tools that could, could help you on your journey. And uh, hopefully, you know, it will impact them uh, for the better. I'm pretty sure it will. So <laughs> yeah, I, I've enjoyed this time together. I know I remember when the, before the mic went hot, I was like, Oh, yeah, you'll be 35, 40. Right. I think we broke an hour. I think we broke an hour. Uh, some of the ways that you explain things and discuss it, it's just powerful. I love the energy. The transparency means a great deal to me. I just can't thank you enough for being on the show. I just this has been a wonderful experience for me. I'm really excited for my listeners to get a chance to hear you. This is Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. This has been awesome. Thank you. No, thank you again for having me on the show. I definitely obviously have some takeaways from you. Um, so I appreciate that, but can't wait to have you on our show. So we're looking forward to that <laughs> and uh, we'll be sure to keep your listeners posted on that too. <laughs> yeah. Great. So thank you coming from Chicago. Thank you so much, Glenn. You have been a wonder. You've been thank awesome. You. Thank you. All right, my friends, that is the episode. I hope that you enjoyed Glenn Doherty. Don't forget to check out his podcast about this life. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. If you want to check him out for that free uh, complimentary 30 minute Q and a about mindset, fitness, anything you're struggling with, uh, you've gotten a great, taste of them, you know exactly who you're going to get when you get on the phone call with him. I highly recommend you click that link and jump on his Calendly. If you have any further questions, don't hesitate to jump over to my website, jessemogel.com slash ask me. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Glow on. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 